Well, good morning, everyone at First Baptist. Wish I could be there with you, but as you know, our team is here in Birmingham, England. The trip is going great. We've visited more than 3,000 homes, and we appreciate you praying for us. I also want to thank Brother Ron Barker, a good friend of mine, for joining us today to preach in my absence. He's done a lot for the Lord in terms of evangelism and prayer, helping churches and conventions, even our own uh, North American Mission Board. And he's been a real encouragement to me. So, Ron, thank you for coming to First Baptist today. Would you join me there, everyone, in welcoming Ron Barker to the pulpit at First Baptist today? Thank you so much. That's the first time I've been welcomed from England. That's good. I love you, Pastor. You know, Steve's been around here a long time. And uh, I... uh, one day he wanted me to see the area. I don't know why, but he did. I think he just wanted to go to one of those places he likes to eat. But anyway, we we did that too. But we were going around, you know, and uh, and so we were in the car and uh, he was driving, and the uh, we got stopped by a policeman. Of course, I don't know whether he's been stopped a lot or what, but he knows them all, and so. He looks at me and he says, put your seatbelt on. I said, mine's on, Steve. So he slapped his on. And so uh, the guy came up and was real nice. Oh, pastor, good to see you again. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, I don't know where the guy came here. Maybe it was one of y'all. I don't know. But anyhow, he, was, he came in. And Steve, uh, yeah, yeah, we just riding around. I was showing Ron around a little bit. And, what did I do, you know? And he said, oh, just, you know, you just need to hold it down just a little bit. You got a little heavy foot there, Pastor. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. But then he just had to say it. We, we got our seatbelt on. And the guy looked in. He said, yep, yeah, but do you always put yours on through the steering wheel? <laughs> so I really love your Pastor. Just makes me feel really good every time I'm with him. So, uh, but uh, some of y'all got that. That's good. You say, well, did that really happen? No. But you know what? If you know Steve, it could have. (laughs) Well, this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Philippians. That's over in the New Testament. And uh, in a great section, Philippians is just four chapters. It's on page 1195 if you need that. And uh, it's it's, it's just four chapters, and this book is very positive. Uh, some of the things that the Apostle Paul has written, he wrote 13 books, but some of them are, are a lot of corrections to the churches because they weren't doing, really doing we- real well and they weren't doing what they were supposed to. And so this, uh, this book's very positive. It, it doesn't have what I call a lot of exhortations, but it has a lot of encouragements in it and a lot of things that we need to really get a hold of. And you have to understand this old boy, though, because... Uh, Saul, as he was known uh, in the beginning, was not a person who was really pro-Christian. He was just the opposite. He was causing a lot of grief to the people who were following Jesus. And he just, uh, you know, he just, just gave them a hard time. Even some people, because of his actions, would lose their life because of this guy. And so his whole life was spent doing that. And then one day... On, as we're told, on, he, de, he tells us on the road to Damascus uh, in Syria, that's, we know that, he 
is, encounters the living Lord Jesus. And God speaks to him, and without a doubt, there is a conversion experience of the Apostle Paul because his heart changed. He moved from relating to God through a building or through a ritual to relating to God in a relational, person-to-person, face-to-face way. He met Jesus. And uh, his life changed. Now, when his life changed, some things didn't change. He still had the memories of the things that he had done in the past to the people now that he would embrace and actually be a part of. He had a lot of these memories, a lot of things that happened. He had done a lot of things. Probably a lot of guilt in his life. Probably a lot of things he had was grieved over. And, you know, being the person that wasn't connected to God, I'm sure there was some anger in his heart. And he just had this problem. He couldn't, you know, there was a time after his conversion till the time that he actually begins his missionary journeys. There's a time lapse here of where some things happen, and I'm convinced that this passage gives us some insight to what had to happen in his life that also needs to happen in ours from time to time. You and I live in a time and in a culture where there's a lot of pushback to the fact that we are believers. I mean, in every direction. And I've been on vacation the last few weeks, so I learned a good while along. I needed two weeks. And uh, I can't, uh, you know, I, and again, it happened. Uh, my granddaughter, three of my granddaughters were with us the first part of the week, the first part of the vacation. They're 16, 14, and 12. And, of course, I was very, I was celebrating as those taillights left the driveway. Uh, it was really good. And just me and my wife were left. And so it was a good thing. And, but about day five or day six, I said, look, I'm done. I want to go home. She said, you can't go home. I said, well, I got my truck here. You got your car. I can go home if I want to. No, you can't. You've got to stay because you're not done yet. And I said, what do you mean I'm not done? She said, you're, you're not, you haven't even got to the point that you can relax. You're still conglomerated with all the stuff you do in your head, and you ain't, you ain't cleaned out yet. I said, you don't know what you're talking about. Of course, we've been married 47 years, and I mean, I know. Of course, she was right again. About day seven, eight, I took a deep breath, woke up one morning, and I thought, yeah, I don't want to go back now. And I begin to relax, you know, a little bit and things like that. And I find that the culture that we live in pushes on you and I so hard that we can't even get focused on the things that are really important. We got stuff coming at us from all... And even, even in the believers community, you and I are evangelical believers. We hold to the truths of the Word of God, to the gospel, to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the fact that He's coming back and that he's died for our sin. We believe that. But our culture today is pushing back on us and trying to limit our expression of that in every way. And so it's very difficult to stay focused because we have so much stuff. Now, also, it's difficult sometimes to stay focused because of what the baggage that you and I continue to drag in our life. I, You know, I go, I, I'm... Now, over, I didn't start out as a preacher. I don't even like preachers, you know, and at home where I grew up. And uh, 
they always hollering at you and talking about the sin of the week, and I, I just couldn't get into that. So I didn't go. My mom and daddy didn't take me to church, and I didn't go. To my grandma made me go to Bible school one time, and then it started. And I met with a really sweet lady who, you know, God says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And she fished in a fifth grade pond, you know, and that's where I was. And I met Jesus. And I haven't doubted it for one second in all these years. But the thing that happened was I, I didn't want to do this. I just, I just wanted to go on my life. I got out of high school finally, went to college. Um, didn't go to class, but I, I was enrolled. I had a full-time job. I was a surveyor, a full-time surveyor. I'd learned to do that early. And then I had to go to the military, went to Vietnam, came back. All this stuff changed. And I said, you know, God's doing something else in my life. But the deal was that these past things kept pulling away from me. A lot of stuff in my life. And as I got older and older and older, I, I know the Vietnam experience impacted me. And, and it wasn't until about 10 or 15 years ago, some 30 years after Vietnam, that some of this stuff started to hit. And I didn't realize. I never realized the baggage. And sometimes I couldn't understand why I, was so, why I couldn't focus. And some of the anger started to hit. And I had, I had this anger, and my wife said, look, you've got to do something about this. We've got to go see a counselor. We've got to do something. I mean, you either got to go do that, or you need to go off in the woods and not come back. I mean, whatever you need to do. I ain't going to kill you, but I am going to send you off. So, I mean, that's kind of the discussion we had. And I thought, well, what are you talking about? I'm fine. See, and I didn't realize what Paul had to realize. I want you to look at this passage of Scripture. Because he gets to this place in his life, and he gets to this place where he's writing to this great church, the Philippian church, which was a missionary church. And uh, he begins to tell them something and, and affirms them in so many different ways. And then he comes to this passage in verse 13, chapter 3, and he says, Look, brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. He just said, Look, I know God's got things for me, I, I, I've been saved. I know I'm on a journey. I've planted churches. I'm doing things. I'm doing what God's called me to do as a believer. And, uh, but I hadn't got the whole picture yet. I hadn't laid hold of the whole thing yet. He said, but one thing I am aware of, and notice what he goes on to say, I, I, I forget what lies behind, and I have to reach forward to what lies ahead. Now, translated for us in South Carolina, here's what that means. The windshield is bigger than the rear view mirror. Y'all got that? Say amen. Okay, good. And because, I mean, he, he's just saying, I, I, this stuff can't bull me down anymore. I've got to move into the direction that God is leading me. If I don't jettison some things, part of my problem is I'm not going to be able to do what, I see, I can't be focused on the next city that I'm supposed to plant a church. I can't be focused on the next person I meet who needs to hear about who Jesus Christ is, if I am still worrying about what has happened in my past and letting that capture my full attention. Now, there's three things that I'm going to, I just, I don't have time for ten, okay? But I got three. So hang on with me here for a few minutes. I, I put my watch up here. 
doesn't, doesn't work, but make some of you feel better here over. Okay, now, all right, let's take three things that could be pulling you and I back down a little bit. And uh, let's just take them in order. One of them is grudges, just kind of out there with grudges. Ephesians tells us not to let, not to let these problems, anger, bitterness, foul mouth, on and on. It says, look, let this stuff get out of your life because this is stuff that's going to distract you and keep you pulled out. He said, we don't need any of that in the church. We don't need any of that in your life. Now, anger is a, is a funny thing. And, and you know, and I know too, you know, people who are hurt are usually the ones that are angry. They're still trying to get back at the person or persons or the institution that's hurt them. Uh, I started the church in 1994. It, it became large, quick, 12, 1,500 people. At the end of the 10 years, it was a pretty good-sized place, a lot going on. Two-thirds of my crowd was divorced. And I realized that in the process here, there were a lot of hurting people. Just a lot of hurting people. A lot of broken relationships. A lot of, a lot of broken stuff behind these people. When they came in to worship, they drug a lot of baggage. And you know what? When you're dragging all that baggage, it's hard to enjoy songs like we've been singing. We can't enjoy that. And I noticed on Sunday sometimes my folks, they wouldn't, even be, they wouldn't even be singing. And I couldn't figure that out. And I got to thinking about it. And I got to looking at this and I got to thinking through my own life and some stuff, and some stuff was starting to happen with me. And, and, and I got to thinking, you know, there was people in my life who's hurt me. And here's what I would do. I would go to bed trying to figure out how to get at them. There was one guy I was thinking about, this little guy. You know that Napoleon thing? I mean, I could blew hard on him and pushed him over. I mean, he, I'd have just killed him in a second. I know you don't think things like that. But, you know, when you, if you get angry enough, it's amazing what Christians think. People who hurt you, you can get really ticked. Some guy who's, who's run off on you and married another woman and just put you down or some lady who's done that or somebody who's hurt you in another way or somebody who's fired you and wasn't justly done according to you. You spend your time in your head trying to think of how to get back at that person. You wake up thinking the same thing. And, and you come into a worship service and you talk about honoring God and worshiping and you're still thinking about how to kill the sucker. It's a distraction. It's baggage. And God says, look, I need you. I need, wherever you're at, I need you to be all there. And you can be saved, but you can still be dragging that baggage. And Paul understood that and he says, look, I need to let go of this stuff. I need to forget what lies behind. He had a lot of baggage. Some of you this morning have got that too. You've got this, you've got this grudge thing going on. You're still trying to get back at whoever hurt you. And when you do that, all this energy inside, your emotional energy that God's supposed to be using to honor him, <laughs> and Steve's asking you to think about people who are lost, you know, to connect with them, and you're thinking... Connect with lost people. Heck, I'm trying to kill one. But see, those two can't, they don't go together. It's tough. tough. Well, let's take a second one. Let's take grief. 
This is another. Now, the, 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 one of the good examples, David, his child, his baby died. And what David does, the passage tells us that David moves from praying over his son to cleaning himself up to the temple to focus once again back on the Lord. And then the Lord would actually give him another child. And this is what God, he has to move our focus from what we're grieving over. And, and this is not about <clears throat> people coming up to you and telling you, get over it. Look, the Bible's clear. We're supposed to grieve. Churches grieve. There's a church that I'll be at in a few weeks that uh, has had a terrible situation take place. And um, I went there one Sunday to kind of to help them grieve. We need to grieve. Individuals need to grieve. I um, I got a text this weekend. Uh, well, this is uh, the weekend, isn't it? I guess it was Friday. And uh, it was from a dear brother who was in my church in Georgia. And he, uh, uh, I was with him when he lost his father. It was about 20 years ago. Well, this week he's lost his mom. And Alzheimer set in. He said he hadn't known his mom for five or six years. She hadn't known him. And so at the early age of 77 now, she's gone on to glory to be with her husband. But he's grieving. Now here's the problem. It kind of connects these two a little bit. He and his brother have not spoken since their father's funeral 20 years ago. And so his wife gets on the phone. She says, Ron, please pray that David and his brother will be able to somehow because she said, and here's exactly what she said. It's less they resolve their differences, they'll never be able to grieve the way they need to. But boy, is that true? It's it's true. That's just just we need to grieve. But when but when the grief's over, it's time then and the way it moves. See, some people are still mad, for instance, at people who died 30 years ago. I've had people, and they'd be in my office with all these broken relationships. They'd come in, a couple would come in, and we'd talk, and, and we'd try to find to get down to the root of the things going on in their life, and I'd say, well, you know, tell me about it. Well, he so-and-so hurt me. So-and-so hurt me. And I'm thinking, okay, well, who is he? Well, my uncle molested me 30 years ago. Well, we need to get together with your uncle. We need to help you get there. Well, he's been dead 25 years. I said, you mean he died 25 years ago and he's still living rent-free in your head? Oh, you're still trying to get back at him. How are you going to do that? Going to go dig him up. Let's go dig him up. Can we do that? And see, there's a, there's a connection here. Her had to do more with the grudge than the grief. But David has having to, if he's going to grieve properly, he's got to deal with the grudge. Sometimes when things happen to us, we get mad at God. We just really get mad. Even believers, strong believers, get mad at God. I, um, I was moved. I'm not of the political persuasion so much as Vice President Biden. But I was moved this week, as these last two weeks, as I watched them grieve over their son's death. Any of us would be who have a heart. 
lost a wife before, lost another child before in a wreck, and now another son's gone. You know what? You and I are not supposed to bury our children. But it does happen. It does happen. David knew how to do it. Is it instant? No. It's a process. And the body of Christ, the church, is supposed to be part of how it helps us move through that. All right, let me tell you one more thing. Guilt. Guilt. Two ways of handling guilt. There's two examples in the Bible. One of them you find with the, with this guy Judas. And here, he, the way he handled it was he, there was no repentance in his heart. There was no godly sorrow that led to repentance. There was just simply in his, in his heart sin, and he was not willing to own up to that fact. And when he was unwilling to do that, it led to his demise at his own hand. Now, another person who sinned at the same, in the, during the same time frame is Peter. And the way he dealt with that is he, he denied the Lord three times. That was his sin, but at the same time, he repented of it. And then when it came time for God to use a person in this early church, it was Peter who's the forgiven man, not the sinless person, but the one who had repented and for, was forgiven, who was, who was willing to, to say, you know, this is wrong, and I've, I've, I've sinned against you, Lord. And to allow the cleansing that came and was possible because of the cross of Christ and the forgiveness of sin and his shed blood to be able to forgive him. And then he would preach the first sermon in the early church. How many of you, I mean, you know, I want to get deep theological here. How many of you have been to Chuck E. Cheese? I'm just getting more in this far, more in this one than the last one. Yeah. The last ones, they've been because their grandparents, they just wouldn't admit it. And the reason they wouldn't is because the pizza stinks. It's horrible. Cardboard. And, uh, and the lettuce, I think they got it out of a dumpster. I mean, it's, it's bad. It's really, really bad. And I uh, hope you don't work there. And, uh, <laughs> and the tea, you know, I think uh, some guy from Connecticut made the tea because it, they have no clue what that stuff's about. They have no clue what iced tea is about. I like it for one thing. My grandkids come in, the girls come in, we go to Chuck E. Cheese. And, and what we do is we get these little, you know, coin things, and I hand them out to everybody. We put them in cups, and then I keep a few. Because I want to go to something called a whack-a-mole. <laughs> y'all know what, what, know what this is. I'm, I love this encounter here. Anyway, this whack-a-mole, and what I do is I put the coin in there, and, and this little mole, if he's, he'll stick his head up every once in a while all over the place. And if I'm quick enough and can hit him enough times, I get these little tickets flying out down here. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Say amen. That was not loud. Y'all are ashamed, aren't you? And it's in, these tickets come out. And, and, you know, I was on it one day. I was on a roll. And I bet I had 10,000 tickets. And I took them over there to that little desk, and they gave me a pencil eraser. <laughs> Because that's about all his work. They say, Ron, what's that got to do about guilt? I'll tell you what it's got to do about it. Somehow we have in our mind as believers that God is waiting for you and I to screw up so he can nail us with a mallet. 
Now let me remind you of something. God's response to our sin was the cross of Christ. Jesus would take upon himself what we deserved. Everything God does, good, bad, and different, is never to get us back. It's always to win us back. And when it comes to guilt, God, all he wants from me and you is to be willing to say, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm guilty. And own up to it. And 1 John 1, 9 says that if we are willing to confess or agree with God about this, he's willing to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's who he is. I, I, all three of these things have been a problem in my life. Every one of them. I came back from Vietnam, and 30 years later, it, the guilt would hit. And I was guilty over the fact that I had survived and people around me had not. I felt terrible. I worried about people who were killed at my hands. I could not get past it. I couldn't, uh, I, I just couldn't. And I, out, I lashed out in, in anger. And my wife and my kids were the recipients of that. People, see, when you're angry, the people that you hurt are usually the people that you love the most, man. And that's not who you want. And then you feel more guilt. And I couldn't get off this roller coaster. And I, I finally went to a counselor and began to do some things that I needed to do and get refocused where I needed to refocus and realize that I was a forgiven person. And to live in that spirit of forgiveness as opposed to worrying about how to get back at people who hurt me or trying to figure out how in the world I could repay God and everybody else for the things that I had done. I don't know about you, but I got some chapters in my life that I'd like to tear out. I'm, not, I'm very ashamed of some of them. And the only thing I knew to do is to take a step and take them to the Lord and say, Lord, this is simply too heavy <laughs> for me to carry. I can't deal with this. But there had to be a point where I was willing to own up to that and admit it. The point, and then there had to be a process of just like a leaf in a swimming pool of finally settling to the bottom. That's your emotions. But there had to be an act somewhere of my handing it off to the Lord and giving him permission to deal with me about it in the right way. Now, when you came in, you got a three-by-five card. Just dig it out. Everybody dig it out. Come on. You got the card. Dig the card out. A lot of you, some of you kids that went to Somersault, anybody here went to Somersault? Yeah, Lee Clamp said to y'all hello. And uh, they had a great time. All right, hold up your card. Hold it up where I want to see it. Now, if you don't have a card, get an offering envelope and tear off a clear space, okay? You ain't putting no money in nothing. Okay, don't worry about that. That'll come later. But right now, you need this card. And here's what I want you to do. What am I going to ask you? You see, you see all these white cards up here? I asked people in the first service to write down one of the words of this. Either grudges, grief, or guilt. 
This is the one in your life that's holding you back from getting focused on who Jesus is and what he's done in our life. And the commission that he's given to you and I. Oh, this is a great church. It has great, continues to have great potential and God does great things through it and, and wants to continue to do that even more than you've ever seen or even could dream. But in order to do that, yet there has to be people in the body who are focused on what God has called you to do. And you can't be that way if you carry this bags. And what I'm going to ask you to do this morning, you're going, you, I want you to write down one of those words, and in a minute when we have the music, I want you to come up here, and I want you to drop this card off. You say, well, what's that got to do with anything? Here's what you're saying. Now listen close. You're giving God permission to deal with you about the one word that you wrote on this card, one of these three words. You're saying, Lord, I'm going to give you permission for you to begin to clear this out in my life where I can move on and get focused. Like Paul said, I need to let go of what's behind and I need to move on to what you have for me. But I can't do that if I'm still struggling. If I'm still continuing to look in the rearview mirror when I got this huge windshield in front of me that God has put there for my life and tends for me to enjoy and be a part of. I want you to write the word and I want you to lay it down. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that there would be freedom to write the right word, what's really in the heart, and to give it to you and to give you permission to start working in your life. We know that no service, no walk to an altar is going to give answer. You could. You could do it. You can do anything you want to. But most of us, Lord, need a where you take us through some kind of process to where we sort it out with your sweet Holy Spirit. Your Spirit leads us in all truth. Your Spirit makes us aware of when things aren't right. Your Spirit holds us, protects us. And I just pray this morning, Father, that your Holy Spirit would lead us this morning to, to, to the right thing by writing down the right word in our life. And then give us the freedom to hand it to you. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me and you come on. This is not for a few people. This is for all of us. You come on. Lay it down. Come on. Bring the card. Lay it down. That's right. Come on. Come on. Nobody's going to read them. Nobody's, there's, no, there's no deal here. Nobody's going to say, you don't need no names on this. You don't need nothing. You just need to lay it down. Time to give it up. Time to give it up. That's right. We're going to sing while you do it. You sing with us. Let's celebrate the Lord.